it's just an honor and a privilege to praise God and worship alongside of you, amen. I hope you'll join with me and, and just enter right in, amen. Nothing brings me more joy than giving God glory, amen. This never gets old to me, amen. I hope it never gets old to you, amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together. I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. I give you honor. I give you
I want to see 
opens our eyes tonight, eyes of our heart that we could see His Word. Amen. Chase away all doubt and fear. Amen. In each and every one's life. Amen. We're going to change the order of our service at this time. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Welcome to our broadcast this evening, Hickory Bible Tabernacle. We are honored to have you with us tonight, and it's a privilege to be able to gather together and to be able to study the Word of God, especially on a day like today. And uh, so we are glad you're with us and trust that you're tuning in tonight uh, with an expectation on your heart. And uh, we want to bring you a couple of prayer requests, and then we're going to jump right into the Word this evening here, and uh, we're going to title this Our Default again, and this will be number six, part number six. Uh, as we begin tonight. Let me give you a couple of prayer requests uh, today. As most of you would probably know, uh, we had mentioned Brother David Whitlock's sister, uh, Patricia, on Sunday. And uh, Tuesday morning early, around 5 a.m., she passed away. She had a number of health complications and uh, passed away uh, in hospital. Uh, on Monday, they were actually trying to find a place to send her for rehab. Uh, because the hospitals are so full here, they were uh, trying to get her out. But our hearts go out to Brother David, to his family, uh, to his mom, and um, the loss that they uh, have experienced here. And uh, we sure uh, love the Whitlocks and, and certainly hate to see them go through this, uh, this uh, period and this loss here. So we want to remember Brother David. Uh, I was talking to Brother Ron Spencer. He had a good report, a, a basically a good report uh, on the scans and tests that he had done. He hasn't had all of them done. Uh, all of the test results are not in, but uh, the results that he had were uh, were good, and uh, they're just very pleased with his progress. Um, Sister Sherry Holly, also we want to continue to remember her, and Sister Caroline Jackson. I spoke with Sister Gregg today. And uh, I, I call her every now and then and uh, talk with her. And she was just so excited to be able to chat for a few minutes. And uh, it was a blessing to be able to speak with her. And we're not able to go in and see her because of the facility that she lives in. But uh, it was great to be able to talk with her. Um, we also want to remember Sister Karen Morglier's uh, daughter, Caitlin. And she is in back in the hospital and uh, just going through some... Uh, some more care uh, in the pregnancy, and uh, they've asked us to hold her up in prayer, and I told her that we uh, sure would. Um, also as well, uh, Brother Andrew Boy Scout up in Alaska, he keeps in touch with me and uh, about a number of different things that are happening and, and uh, prayer requests that happen in Alaska among the uh, uh, Native people there. And he told me, I was asking him how things were in the village, and he said, uh, last week they had 319 active cases. Uh, the, the village now only holds a thousand people, so that's uh, one third of the population. And uh, they had 93 positive cases today. Um, so he asked us to continue to hold them up in prayer as they go through this uh, through this time. Uh, I want to mention to you as well that we've got some weather outside, uh, as most people do. And uh, we've got lightning and some thunder I can hear in the background. So if the broadcast cuts off, uh, that's probably going to be the reason why. Brother Jeremy's on deck in uh, in Hickory uh, watching over things. But uh, as far as the uh, 
the weather here, if, if there's a, a blank out in the power, uh, we'll try to get it back, but that's what's happened. Um, so we want to um, bring these needs before the Lord. Now, what I'd like you to do is also just uh, take the needs that you have this evening and just in the quietness of this moment, just to bring that need before him, let's go to the throne in, in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to be able to come and gather, Lord, in your name and to be able to assemble together, Lord, even if it's in this way and through this channel. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have, and I thank you for the word of life. And under any condition, the hearing of your word is a valuable thing to the people of God. And under any condition, Lord, we know that you can always speak under any condition, Lord, we know that you are able to minister to our hearts and to speak to us in a personal and a special way. I ask you, Lord, now in the busyness of our day, in the busyness of our week, that you would just calm our anxious hearts, settle our spirits, and Lord, may we just focus in on your word now for this little time of fellowship. We'll give you thanks for it all in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen and amen. Now, um, we still have our dinner scheduled on Sunday. It will be held after the morning service. And uh, we are still planning to go forward uh, with our dinner. Uh, we obviously need to make you aware, if you're not already aware, uh, that um, there is always a, a risk in getting together. There's a risk in getting together in church. And uh, you're certainly welcome if people are not in attendance at church and you want to come for dinner, uh, you know, let us know. And uh, we will look forward to a little get together ourselves and, and just to be able to share that time together uh, and to be able to have a little fellowship. I, I think it will be nice, but uh, we need to let you know that in times like this, the uh, authorities are not recommending uh, gatherings and uh, so they have thankfully just left churches as a side uh, when it comes to these recommendations. So um, as we come to church and as we gather together in times like this, uh, we're just trusting in the Lord's uh, protection. And uh, all of us need to be praying for that protection as well uh, in the days that we're living in. So let's just uh, divert for a moment here. And this is not my text here, but I want to read this little passage uh, at the beginning. In Exodus chapter 12, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, for a moment, I'd like to talk a little bit about Memorial Day because today is the 11th day of the 11th month, and uh, we're a little bit early for the 11th hour um, and uh, maybe a little late for the 11th hour. Uh, but that's when the armistice was signed in, in World War I, and uh, then it became uh, the uh, Armistice Day. After a while, it was named that, and then eventually became Memorial Day uh, so that we remember those who have fallen. And uh, I was privileged to speak yesterday to uh, the Bible Way Academy online, and uh, we were talking about the uh, subject of memorials. And uh, it, it's a great thing that we remember and take a day where, uh, you know, things slow down on, on Remembrance Day or Memorial Day. I think that's fitting for us to do. 
But as much as we do it, it is really a uh, very important thing to God for us to remember uh, what what happened to bring us to where we are. God never wants us to forget the sacrifices that were made and the things that uh, preceded our being here uh, at this particular time. He, he never wanted us to forget uh, what took place on Calvary's cross, for instance, uh, in order for us to be here today. Um, I, I'm so thankful for Calvary, and I, I, I realize that on the cross, Jesus paid for everything uh, that we needed in the in the complete journey uh, on Calvary's cross. It was all paid for right there. So what we what we enjoy today, the freedom from sin and forgiveness from God, all of that was paid for at Calvary. When we're in eternity and we're there a hundred million years, that will all still be because of Calvary. It was a supreme act of his love and mercy to us. And so we're thankful for that. You know, when you think in the Bible of so many things that were done, like in the book of Acts, when the people uh, who were sick, they laid in the shadow of Peter as he passed by on his way to the temple. Uh, healing was in all of that. And all of it happened because of Calvary. And we're, we're so thankful for that. Jesus came and paid what we should have paid. And then in turn, we were paid what he should have been paid. It, it's an amazing act of God's grace and God's mercy. So uh, it, it, it is just incredible. And God never wanted us to forget what happened uh, at Calvary. And that's why memorials are important. Remembrance is an important thing to God. Uh, you remember in the book of Joshua when they crossed the River Jordan and they were going over to take Jericho, uh, there were there was a couple of unusual things that God told Joshua to do. He said, as you're passing through the river, he said, choose 12 men and uh, get them to take a stone out of the river. And uh, they, they did that. And we're looking at Joshua chapter four right here. And uh, in the passage, it says that they were to take the stones out, uh, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. When it passed over, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial of the children of Israel forever. God wanted them to remember that. And it says in time-tested memorials of God, Brother Branham uh, says this, and as the priest's feet touched Jordan, she just rolled back from side to side and the water stayed. And God stayed the stream and she laid there until they passed over. And then God said to Joshua, we want to make a memorial unto this and go out there and send each Israelite one from each tribe and pick out 12 stones and make a memorial. And this memorial shall be that when the children of Israel are passing through this way, that they will ask, what caused these stones to be here? And you shall give them the story of how God stayed the Jordan. That's a wonderful memory. So God actually had Joshua collect stones for two memorials. And one of them was to be placed right in the middle of uh, the uh, Jordan River. That's exactly where they were supposed to be. So they took 12 stones and piled them up in the middle of the river. And uh, the river would eventually... Uh, engulf that uh, that memorial. You could see it uh, in the times when the river was low, but uh, then it would be completely submerged in other times. And then God told Joshua to take uh, 12 stones and bring them over to Gilgal where they camped, which is uh, kind of near Jericho, and that's on the Israel side of Jordan. And when they were there, they were to set up another uh, uh, pile of stones as a monument. And God wanted the children of Israel to remember as they were passing by that place. And when the children asked, what, what's the meaning of this memorial? 
they wanted to be able to say something great happened here, something great to cause this uh, pile of stones to be erected here. God did a supernatural thing. He did a great thing right here. And he always wanted them to remember that they are in the promised land because of the supernatural actions of a God who stopped the river and made a way for them to be there. We look at the empty tomb. It's also a memorial. Uh, Brother Branham said, Jesus left a memorial, an empty tomb. And someday, he says, when we go over to the grave, uh, we go over to the grave and our loved ones and hear the little old clods and they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, earth to earth. But brother, we can look across the sea to an empty tomb and someday we're going out of here, we're going home. I've been there. I've looked in that tomb several times. Each time I looked, I will assure you there was nobody in there. And uh, it is truly a memorial, a monument. And we love our time at the garden tomb and we go there. Uh, and we, this last time we were there, we had some singing and fellowship. We had bread and wine and communion. Uh, it was a lovely time when we were there. But I will assure you that that memorial is an empty memorial. There's nothing there. It truly is an empty tomb. Deuteronomy chapter 4. What nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. So God wanted the remembrance of his judgments and his mercies to be remembered intergenerationally. So for years and generations down the line, we were to pass along the story of God's grace in our lives. And uh, in the same way that we like to tell the stories of the soldiers and how they fought and how they were victorious and how they lived and all the trials they went through, uh, we are to pass that down to our children and our grandchildren so that the legacies remain. Exactly in the same way God told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, he says, do you tell it? He says, lest you forget. Because if we don't tell it, we will forget it, and subsequent generations will lose track of what happened to get us to where we are. And then there comes a pride where people feel like, well, you know, maybe we did it. it, it we're, we are here because of what we did. And uh, that is never the case. God has brought us to where we are. A rainbow is a covenant, is a sign of a covenant. It is a memorial in the sky uh, between God and his people and God and the earth. And so whenever you're looking at a rainbow, there's somebody else also looking at that rainbow as well. Jesus said, when we take communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And when you break the bread and when you drink the cup, do this in remembrance of me every time you do it. So when we stand and we take communion, we are looking back at what Jesus did. We're also looking ahead to doing it anew in the Father's kingdom. I don't know what form it'll be in the Father's kingdom, but that's what we're going to be doing uh, in the world to come. So we're looking both ways at the same time whenever we take communion. And that's what Jesus told us to do. He said, do it in remembrance of me. Don't ever forget what I did in order to accomplish this communion that we have. Brother Branham says in the questions and answers, now, Brother Branham, do you hunt? Do you ever hunt on Sunday? Let me tell you something. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm not a Sabbatarian, but I believe the Holy Spirit is our Sabbath. And I believe that we should honor that resurrection as a memorial. If you honor any day, honor that resurrection, because it is a day of the week when uh, Jesus proved that he held the keys of death, hell in the grave, and uh, the tomb certainly was empty and Jesus had conquered uh, death itself. So sun, uh, su Sunday is the uh, day, first day of the uh, week and the day of the resurrection. 
And so uh, we honor that and we set it aside to God and use it as a rest day. We use it as a time to worship. We use it as a time to come together. And Brother Branham said, if you're going to do it on any day, that's the day that we should do it. Uh, is that resurrection day. And we don't, we don't uh, uh, clutter it up with all kinds of other things, but it is a day that we give to the Lord and give to rest and give to our families. Uh, that's what we should do. But now let's remember this also as well, that uh, you are a memorial to God. You are, as a part of God's building, uh, you are a memorial of his sacrifice. You're a trophy of God's sacrifice. You're a display of the supernatural work of God. And he said, Jesus, Jesus Christ never came to earth to die in vain. His death will not be in vain. God's able to these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And if people won't live it, they won't take it under consideration and realize what a great gift God's given them. God's able to these stones to raise up to Abraham. Truly, he will do it. And so we, we, we realize that uh, the bride of Christ in this last day is a memorial. You know, I, I think about all the saints that lived through the ages and they died in, in a martyr's death and all the rest of it. And we are the ones that are standing here in the last day as, uh, you know, the capstone people of God's grace and mercy. And uh, it is just a, a tremendous blessing to be able to, um, you know, to recognize that uh, God is all powerful and I, I'd like to say this, that every time we look in the mirror, we ought to say, uh, something great happened here. Something good happened here. I might be aging on the outside, and I might have wrinkles, and I might have uh, glasses and so forth. But you know what? Inside of this tabernacle, God did something great. And and uh, his, his uh, mercy and my testimony of his grace, that is a memorial to what Jesus did for me. And uh, we should never let that become common to us. So Memorial Day is a great day. It really is, because there are many, many great memorials in the world. Uh, you know, Yad Vashem, I've showed you pictures many times. It's a Jewish uh, memorial to the Holocaust. And, uh, you know, I watch many times I watch the soldiers go in there and they, they, they go right through that whole uh, memorial of the Holocaust and they have their headphones on and they're, they're listening to the Jewish guide there and uh, you know, they're, they're learning one simple principle, and that is never again, never again will the Jews go through this. And uh, it, it's really a stirring thing, and that memorial is certainly moving. And uh, I, I just want to say this, that I believe that in the last day, we are that memorial that God had in mind to be able to stand here and represent something. We are not the entire event, but we represent it. And uh, it, it is a humbling thing to know that God is using you as a reflection of the memorial of the grace of God. I, I just I just think that that's a wonderful thing. All right, now let's jump on here. And uh, so to all of our veterans and everybody who fought in foreign wars and everybody who's a part of the military establishment and, and sacrificed, um, we want to say a heartfelt thank you to you, people in our church, people we know, people who are listening to this. Uh, there are many that made great sacrifice. And we know people uh, in, in foreign wars who left uh, our country and never came back. They died on foreign soil and they did it, uh, because they were fighting for a righteous cause and for, uh, leadership for, uh, liberty and freedom that we enjoy. And, uh, we want to say tonight that we appreciate you and, and, uh, pray for you and just trust that God will bless you. My father-in-law, uh, this evening, we took him out for an early dinner um, we went to a restaurant and they honored him with a free meal, uh, which was a blessing to him. 
and uh, blows out nine. He blew out 94 candles this year and uh, proudly wore his hat. And we had his discharge certificate in the restaurant and uh, served in World War II. My uncle as well served in World War II in, in Africa against Rommel and uh, different uncles I had that uh, fought in the uh, Merchant Navy and different places in England and uh, very proud of that heritage. And uh, so may the Lord richly bless you all uh, today. Well, let's take a little text here and a reading, and we want to uh, talk about a default value here tonight, and we're going to do this a little bit differently tonight, and we'll just see how far we can get, all right? So if you have your new uh, Hickory Bible Tabernacle pen, you want to take that out and maybe make some notes, and if you don't have a pen, you're certainly welcome to write to me. I'd be glad to send you one. Have your phone out so you can send me an amen and let me know you're out there uh, tonight because I cannot see any of you at all. First John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. That's not strange. That's not unusual. Behold, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit tonight about uh, our focus upon what we are becoming. Uh, we, most of us know what we are, but we are interested in what we are becoming. And I will guarantee you that the Holy Spirit is interested in what you are becoming. He's interested in making sure that you look like himself. You are a reflection of Christ in this world. Not physically, because that's not the point. If that was what God wanted, he would make us all look identical. But he does not. He is interested in making the inner man look like the inner man of Christ. And the inner man of Christ was completely sold out to the Father. He did what pleased the Father. That's what was important to him. And I would say this tonight, that that's what the Holy Spirit is watching over, is to make us more like him. And he's overseeing that spiritual growth that brings us there. And this is the promise. And John says that every man that hath this hope in him, and that's our hope, that's our, that's our goal, that's our desire. Uh, we purify ourselves. In other words, we set ourselves aside to become what God has predestinated us to be. Now, we have defined the word default. It is a thing that exists or happens if you do not change it intentionally. It is a selection made usually automatically or without active consideration. So a default value is something uh, that uh, is going to happen unless there is a change. And, and that is, uh, that is a, a static thing. An absolute, rather, is a value or a principle that's regarded as universally valid or true and may be reviewed as, as without relation to other things. So an abs when something is an absolute, uh, it's not dependent on any other factor around it or circumstance or environment. It has nothing to do with opinion or feeling. It is just absolutely true. These are facts. Let me give you some facts today, all right? Number one, brass doorknobs are self-disinfecting. That's why, especially old-fashioned doors, if you ever saw the doorknob or the locks or the panels on the door, uh, the push plate, the kick plate, many of them were brass because the, the germs that are on your hands generally do not last on brass. Brass and copper 
have the ability to be able to dissolve germs that are on it. I, I'm just throwing this in. These are, these are absolute true facts. You can check it out. Number two, France is the most visited country on earth. And there are four babies born every second in the world. I think that's interesting. Fourthly, only three counties, countries in the world, don't use the metric system. One of them is Libya. And Libya is actually, I'm sorry, Liberia. And they're actually deciding now whether they're going to uh, switch over to the uh, metric system now themselves. There's only three countries, and the United States is one of them, as you know. The last statement I want to make is that people who are currently alive on the earth represent only about 7% of the total number of people who have ever lived. Those things, all those facts are true. They're not dependent on your opinion. They're not dependent on, on a vote. They're true regardless. That's what absolute truth is. We esteem the Bible to be something that's absolutely true. It does not depend on environment. It does not depend on circumstance. It doesn't depend on the number of people who believe it or don't believe it. It is simply true whatever. Now, we've mentioned this statement many times. All true prophets, all true Christians, all true believers stay with the word. No matter what anybody else says, you stay right with that word. Now, let me give you a, a little backup for that. And last week we talked about uh, a negative. You know, we, we were describing this. Well, if, if God is a predestinator and God has ordained everything to be, then why pray? Whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. And we know that that attitude, that fatalistic attitude is not correct. Martin Luther said that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is rather laying hold of his willingness. And Brother Branham said when we pray that way, in a, or when we think about uh, God as, as in a fatalistic way, like whatever will be, will be, you know, I don't need to pray. I don't need to, to, to be desperate at all about things. Brother Branham said you pray that way because he says you have the wrong idea of prayer and you have the wrong conception. And he taught us that prayer changes things. So we, we dealt with that last, last Wednesday night. Now, let's, let's take a different approach to this. We've talked about some of the default things that people believe that may be incorrect. Uh, and, and they're incorrect until they're intentionally changed. So, for instance, we say that uh, all Christians are poor. Uh, Christians don't have assets or resources. It's amazing uh, in this series how many responses I got and how many emails I got when we talked about Lydia. I think I told you that in the book of Acts and how she was a woman of wealth and she was never corrected for that. Uh, she was a woman of great means and uh, lots of people uh, you know, were uh, amazed at that. There are there are ideas that people have. For instance, I gave you the example of Brother Branham talking about how that he thought when we died, we'd turn into a cloud, a puff up there in the sky. And uh, that's the way we would be for all eternity. And he said, but the Holy Spirit came along and corrected that and gave him the scripture so that he knew exactly what was true. It was a default belief until the word came. And now he had an absolute understanding of that. And that's what's important. So we also have default beliefs that are true. They don't need to be altered. And they are things that we understand to be absolute true. And uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, I would say, does not change those beliefs, but rather 
they add to, he adds to those beliefs. He gives us a more full understanding of things. If it's true, God wants you to know the full depth of things, not just the shallow, cursory idea about something. He wants you to know fully what happened. It, it'll, we, take, we talk about the fall in, in the Garden of Eden there. Well, we know what it wasn't, but God wanted us to know really what it was and what the implications of that were. So how important that really was to know the truth of the fall, because it connects many, many things and brings clarity on many, many issues. So what are some of our default beliefs? Well, here's one of them, that seeds grow. We are born by the incorruptible seed of the word of God, and seeds grow. When seeds come to life, they grow, and they produce whatever is the nature of that seed in the first place. That's an important default belief, and it is a true belief. Going back to our text here, we know that uh, we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So a seed does not look like the fruit of the seed. It looks like a seed. Therefore, a seed has to grow to become something, and that's exactly what's going on with us. We, we, we began from the new birth by a seed that was placed in our heart. It was quickened, comes to life, and we are becoming something ever since. We are becoming what God wants us to be ever since. And that requires change. It requires growth. It requires expansion. It requires maturing. It requires fruit. It requires all enduring the seasons of, of growth. Uh, it, it requires many, many things. And uh, it, it is a true principle that seeds grow. Well, let's just develop this a little bit. And I, I don't want to make this complex at all because it's a wonderfully simple thing. Now, here's what Brother Branham said about the Word of God. And he said in this little text that he was using in What Think Ye of Christ, he said there's five little words there. But what makes it what it is is because it is Scripture. The Word is so valuable. So it's not necessarily important because it's long or short. It's, it's the Word of God. That's what makes it important. He said the Word was in the beginning as a thought of God. Then it became a thought expressed. And then he expresses his thought, and it becomes a signed document. In other words, it's, it's like a written check given to you. You can go to the bank with it. And all the Bible is is prophets who has went up into the place of the eagles. In other words, they ascended up on high. And God has let them foresee what God spoke in the beginning. For in the beginning, God knew everything that ever would be from the very first beginning. So you see the value on the word. Now, hold on. That's quite a statement when you think about it. Look at this here. The word was in the beginning as a thought of God. So in other words, when Martin Luther was born on the earth, God did not come up with a doctrine for him to preach and pronounce it then, that the just shall live by faith. No, the word was in the beginning as a thought of God. And Martin Luther tapped into the mind of God and got that revelation and brought it to the bride at that particular time. And all the Bible is is prophets who has went up into the place of eagles. In other words, they ascended up into that lofty place, the mind of God, and God has let them foresee what God actually said in the beginning. 
Wow. If that's true, that means that this message was already in the mind of God in the very beginning when it was just God and his thoughts. And Brother Branham actually continually tapped into the mind of God and brought all of those sermons and the message of the hour for us, which was already spoken before we set foot on the earth. It's amazing. It's amazing how God planned it all out. Let me take this one little step further while we're on this screen. You also were a thought of God. That means that you had to be, th- you had to be in the mind of God before there even was a star or a planet or a sun. And God knew you were there because you were a part of him. You were an attribute. You only were expressed in this time, not in the beginning, but you were expressed at this particular time. And that was God's choosing for you to be expressed at this time. Now think about this. God knew from the very beginning that that everything would be as it is. So therefore, (laughs) this wouldn't be for everybody. But let me say this. This message then, is not something to be discounted or done away with lightly. If what I just read to you is true, then this message is of God. It is actually God's thoughts expressed through a channel of a prophet in the last day. In the same way that when Paul spoke and Luther and Wesley spoke, they were speaking as channels, they were speaking as spokesmen for God. It wasn't their message at all. It wasn't their conclusion. It was rather the mind of God being expressed. So therefore, Christians stay with the word. This is a very powerful thing. I mean, we could wrap it up here and just leave that quote like it is and let's ponder on that one. As he says, you can see the value on the word. You see how valuable a thing the word of God is and how valuable a Bible is and how valuable the message actually is. It's an incredible thing. Now, let's, let's just look at this again. Here, here he is now in a message called Diseases and Afflictions. Every life comes from a germ. You are from a germ of life, come from your father, naturally speaking. Then from that becomes multiplying cells, and everything after its kind, a germ from the dog, will bring forth dog, a human, human. In other words, you're not going to get a mixture of cells. You're going to get every seed bringing forth of its kind. So if it's a human seed, it's going to be a human produced. And if nothing interrupts that, that, that which is God's program, it'll bring forth a perfect normal child, grow to be a perfect normal adult. But when something interrupts it, it's bound to be that evil that interrupts God's program. We know that comes from Satan. Satan's always interested in, in stopping God's program or interfering with God's program. He says, God doesn't intend you to be sick. God made you in his likeness. He wants you to be well. He's done everything he can to keep you well. He's provided healing for us. He gave a, a serpent, uh, you know, brass serpent in the wilderness uh, for the healing of the people. He, he has done so many things here, but we, we know that we, we are, in a sense, we are the evolution from a, a, a germ or seed that has been quickened and brought to where we are. But remember, a seed is of no value as long as it remains a seed. It has to grow. And if it grows, it'll become whatever it is ordained to be. Just like a, a dog or a watermelon, it'll become that. You will not get a, 
uh, a dog with three legs and a watermelon as the fourth leg. You won't do it. It would be funny, but you wouldn't get, you wouldn't see that because it's going to be all dog. And so therefore it, it's going to be, if it's the seed of God, it's going to be a perfect creation because it's a perfect seed. All right. And if that's true, then it's got to go through the season of growth or the season of, of change. So we say seeds grow. Here's a, here's a graphic. Okay. And, uh, in Ephesians chapter four, and this is the growth process for the new man that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Now let's stop. It's okay for children to be children, but it's not okay for children to remain children. Always. They have to grow and mature and come to adoption. Let me read it again. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him. Not only are we growing up into him, but we are growing up to become like him according to our text, which is, which is the head, even Christ. So therefore, there is a growth process for every child of God. I've got some of the stages that are listed there, and those are just elementary, new birth, and we're justified. We go through a process of sanctification, receive the Holy Spirit, and then, of course, the harvest time, uh, and, and the bride has made herself ready in Revelation chapter 19. Now, Brother Branham describes it here in the bottom quote, and you can't expect a baby to be born a man. It's got to grow up to it. And we grow in Christ to the full stature, not somebody get converted overnight and tomorrow preach the gospel. We grow into manhood, into the stature of Christ. So nature itself teaches us that there are stages, and those stages are perfectly normal, and those stages are perfectly appropriate. So when a person is newborn in Christ, they are learning, they're asking questions, they're making mistakes, they are learning by experience. Listen, there are some things you're going to learn by sitting in church and hearing what's right. There are other things that you're going to learn by experience, and nothing's going to change that. There are some things, for instance, you can hear all the sermons you want about uh, courtship and love and relationships and marriage, but I will tell you, there's no teaching experience like the actual experience of falling in love and getting to know somebody and think about marriage. Let me tell you, um, you can have all the book learning you want, but there's some things that God allows you to learn by experience. I can tell you what it's like to really like somebody and they walk away from that relationship. You know, they, you have a crush on somebody and you have a feeling for somebody and then they walk away and they get married to somebody else. And my goodness, it's a terrible feeling. I can tell you all about it, but I cannot make you feel that. Whenever you've experienced that in life, that's a feeling that never goes away. That's a feeling that's with you forever. And there are some things that God wants you to experience by learning, by hearing, by reading, by revelation. And there are some things that you're not going to get that way. You're going to get it by experience. And that's the way that God does it. That's the way that God teaches us. And there are many, many lessons that we will learn uh, in life. You can, um, oh, I mean, there's just so many examples here. But the point is, is that there is a growth process. And the inner man starts from something very small, and it becomes a real, uh, real believer with faith muscles like Father Abraham had in his life. Brother Bram says, you love him. You really want to meet him. I'll tell your friends, just take it from your brother today. There's got to be something happen within you that's a birth that changes your disposition. Just a mental, dry-eyed conception won't work. You will not 
experience a new birth from what you read or from what you uh, listen to or even from watching other people. You have got to repent yourself. You've got to experience that yourself. You've got to touch that, that presence yourself. You've got to have that living encounter with the living God yourself. Just a conception of it, just a hearing about it is not the same thing. But when you meet Christ, you'll never be the same again. I will tell you that in the, in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, when you read them and you, you hear, you, you read about those people who met Jesus either on the street or in the field or at the well or in the synagogue, nobody was asking, all right, now which one is Jesus? They all knew him when they encountered him. They all knew him when he came around. And when you experience, not learn about, but when you experience a new birth, then something happens on the inside. You'll never be the same again. So let me just tell you this, that what is really important about your experience is the beginning, because that's the quickening of, a, of, of the seed of eternal life. And uh, it's not that eternal life begins at the new birth, but it proves you did have eternal life. And the ending of that experience, the change of our body and stepping back into eternity. So the beginning is if any man being Christ, he's a new creature. That, that initial experience that we have with God ties us to the eternal. We have the experience because we have representation with God that brings us to the place of maturity and the change of our body or death, either one, but it brings us to the end. And the end is simply a step off in, back into eternity where you belong. Everything that happens in the middle between those two markers, between the birth and your leaving here, are things that mold and shape the inner man, that new man that's on the inside. Those events and experiences are, are important, but let me tell you, if there's no true beginning and a true new birth, none of the rest of it's going to matter. And in reality, if we don't go back into the body that God prepared for us, then we really are of all men most miserable because we're believing unto a dead end. There's nothing beyond this. And that's just simply not true. So seeds grow. They have a beginning, they have a birth, and they grow to maturity. They're taken into eternity. That's true. That's our default belief tonight. So when you become a son and daughter of God, your disposition changes, your attitude changes, your all, your look towards life and your and, and towards others will change. You're, you're looking towards life, you, the way you look at others, everything changes. It doesn't mean that you have just joined church. It means that you have been regenerated. There's something actually happened. And the old things have passed away and God has spoken to you and you become a new creature. That's what it means when divine love is projected to you. And then it comes to the harvest or the end of our lives. And this is what God's interested in. This is what the husbandman waiteth for, is the precious fruit of the earth. He's not looking for apples and oranges. He's looking for you in a place of maturity, you in a place of full adoption. And he has long patience for it. He's willing to let the entire Gentile bride be there over a period of about 2,000 years. So, James is saying that in the same way that God is patient and waiting for completion of this bride, everything that he saw in his thoughts before the earth was formed, he says, ye also be patient with the process that brings you to that maturity. 
and be patient and establish your hearts in the present truth because you really can't be in any other age. You really can't uh, hurry this process along. It, it's, it, it really is based upon surrender and it's based upon believing what God has said and what God has said about you and what God has predestinated about you. That's what matters. So the beginning and the ending of this new man is really what's critical there, and that's why I put those two uh, on the screen. Now, just a couple of quick statements here. How God wants to bless the church. How he would have hovered over you. You listen to men teachers instead of God's teacher, the Holy Ghost, who would teach you behavior. The Holy Ghost desires to teach you behavior, to make you behave, to make you ladylike, to make you the salt of the earth. Remember now, in the growth process, the tutor wants to make you a certain kind of person who has a different outlook on life and has a different outlook towards others. He wants to make you ladylike. He's got a personal stake in this. He's got a personal investment in you. So, for instance, when Paul met uh, Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He took it personal. And when you touch a member of his church, that's the same as touching him. In Matthew 25, uh, Jesus said, when you give a cup of cold water, he said, you gave it to me. And when you visited me in the, in the hospital, he says, then you, you visited me. He takes it personal that he has an investment in the body of Christ. It is what he paid for. And he is checking up on his investment. You didn't pay for your salvation. He did. And so he's really just checking up on the investment that he made. And here's Brother Branham saying, like Jesus said to Jerusalem, how oft would I have hovered you? And here's Brother Branham speaking to the denominational system. How oft would God have wanted to take you on to the right kind of teaching that would have changed your behavior and changed your outlook, made you like real ladies and made you the salt of the earth? And men will thirst to be like you if you'll really live the Christian life. The Christian life comes by experience, and it comes by development. It comes by growth. It, it comes not by uh, just wishful thinking, and it doesn't come by just sitting in, in, the, in the church. It, it comes because you're, the, the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, sustaining and causing that experience in you to grow. You can't do it in yourself. You've got to have Christ in you to do it. That's exactly. And Brother Branham tells us this. He says, we've, uh, we're supposed to represent God and eternal life. There's only one form of eternal life, and that's God. And we are products of his because we are genes of his spirit. Therefore, he said, we should conduct ourselves, men and women, like the Bible said for us to do. Christian gentlemen, sons and daughters of God, born of the spirit of God and manifesting the light in our day and scattering it. In other words, we become a witness. We are memorials of the grace of God. We are memorials of the mercies of God and the forgiveness of God. And we witness to, we witness to people, uh, you know, by our testimony that we actually have communion with God. We, we have fellowship with God. And we are not ashamed to say that, you know, we speak to God and God speaks to us. And uh, we pray and God answers prayer. We had several good reports after Sunday of people being touched by the supernatural hand of God. And uh, we're, we're so thankful for that. We should conduct ourselves as people that have victory, that people that are overcomers, that people that even though the circumstances might be difficult, it does not change the Bible. It does not change what God said about us. It does not change the principle of eternal life. And we should conduct ourselves accordingly. 
We should be light to this world, and there's lots of darkness in this world. We should be light. We should not just be wondering about, well, how can I get married, and how can I make a lot of money, and how can I get a bigger church, and all the rest of it. Those things are entirely inconsequential and uh, in, in terms of priority. Our job is to seek first the kingdom of God and uh, to be able to testify of the, of the goodness of God and the great, uh, the great things that God has done. Every, every step of our earthly journey should be with the dove in mind. You remember uh, we, we talked about how the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and remained. And uh, I mentioned to you that, uh, you know, if, if we were going to walk around with a, with a dove on our shoulder uh, and we wanted that dove to remain, we're going to walk every step with that dove in mind. Uh, we're going we're gonna to walk very sensitively and very carefully. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is treating us the same way. He, he wants us to keep in mind that uh, every step we take is because of the grace of God and the mercy of God. And we want to reflect that in our life. That's what we are commissioned to do. So let's just, let's just kind of stand back and, and remember that, uh, you know, the, the greatness of God and the, uh, uh, the power of God and the predestinated plan of God is not something new that God came up with. It is rather something that God thought of back in the very beginning. By him, all things are created. Things that are in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. We know what we know because somebody tapped into the mind of God to share what God knew. So in a real sense, in a real sense, like I told you on Sunday when I was a carrier of the check, I don't have any power to heal, but I'm carrying the promise to you. Prophets carry what was in the mind of God to us. And they bring to us what God already knows and God has already said. Remember now, God's thoughts are not just past, they are eternal. That's the difference. So what God thought back 6,000 years ago or before that, that is still real today and as fresh as when he spoke it. But God does not allow prophets, he does not allow prophets to see everything, but rather to see what they need in order to have light for their day. I love this graphic because it's showing light in a certain part of the world, but darkness in other parts of the world. And God so arranged it that a prophet could raise up and see in his mind that Jehovah of the old was Jesus of the new. Paul saw that, and he brought that to the, to the believers of his time. But Paul did not see the revelation of, full revelation of Melchizedek. He said that'll come in another season when the earth, in, in a sense, you know, when God shows that, when God reveals that light, light strikes that, he says that revelation will come. He says that's going to be in another, in another season, but it'll come because if it's in the mind of God, it's got to come. And the full disclosure of the revelation of God, according to Revelation 10, 7, that was for this day. And so we had a prophet who looked and saw what the light was shining on presently. And let me tell you, that's the message that we have. Uh, we are we are so blessed. This is this is absolutely a great and lofty concept. So in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God knew. In the beginning, God had already thought about you. In the beginning, God had planned everything. 
And then God rested. And then his messengers brought the check to us. All of these things were hidden in the mind of God. Everyone whose names was on the Lamb's Book of Life, every one of us were there and how that the Lamb was actually slain for us. Now, let me just, let me just uh, jump a little bit uh, forward here. In Ephesians chapter 3, and again, this just underscores that, that and, and I'm reading the part in brackets here. Paul said, as I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Well, Paul didn't sit down and put, you know piece all these pieces of the Old Testament together and cut and paste things and come up with the right conclusion. Not at all. But rather, he, uh, he would have tapped into, he would have had the revelation that God gave to him uh, concerning the mystery of Christ and all that Christ was, was poured into the church and so forth uh, back in that day. And who actually Jehovah was in the Old Testament, God above us, who that was. And then Paul brings that right down to that was Jesus of the new, that was God above us, God with us. And then he says, now it's God in us and brought all the mysteries pertaining to that in our time. And this is exactly what Paul says. Let me tell you, we are blessed to be uh, children of the prophets. I'll tell you that, friends of the prophet. All right. So let's go back now to this principle of seeds grow. In the natural, when we talk about adoption, we're talking about bringing a person into a specific relationship, the relationship that did not exist at the beginning, but now they're brought into that relationship. And when a person is brought into a true adoptive relationship in the natural, they're given the name, the place, the privileges, everything that goes with being a part of that family. Just like Pharaoh adopting Moses and Moses got to live in the palace. It was not the way it was originally. That's not the way it was uh, started out, but that is what it became because he benefited from adoption. Spiritually speaking, or biblically, it is an act of God's grace by which he brings us into a proper position in his redeemed family. As a result of that, we receive all the blessings and the privileges and the honor that's provided as a member of God's family. You have communion, you have fellowship, you have access to God, you have promises, you have covenants, you have uh, blessings, you have provision, you have angels uh, that encamp around about you, you have commandments, you have light, you have peace, you have fellowship. My goodness, there are many things that you get as being part of the family. That's not the way it was at the beginning, right, in our earthly journey. And when I was a sinner and lived in the world, I never had all that. I longed for that, but I never had it. But adoption represents the new relationship into which the believer has come. How does that come? It comes because of a birth. And the birth brings us into the process of adoption. When we develop in, as an adopted son of God, we develop convictions in our life. Those are the truths and the facts that give us confidence to know what God wants. They give us assurance and certainty, but they help build faith. We have a conviction that God is a healer. We have a, a, an understanding that God's a healer. We have confidence as, as Christ the healer in Christ the healer. And when we hear of the exploits and the testimonies of those that are healed, it gives us faith, builds us faith. Hey, we may not be instantaneous, as we said on Sunday. It, it may not even come the way you think, but I will tell you something that God's a healer. And so therefore, all of these definitions are true about a conviction. And the last one says it's an unshakable belief in something without need of proof. I Hey, listen, I know that uh, God's word is true. I know the Bible is true. And we have an unshakable belief in that. That's our conviction. We have a conviction that uh, we'd say, like, uh, you know, um, 
marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the way God ordained it. That's our conviction. Um, I don't see how sensibly you could, could uh, twist that any other way. That is a, a conviction, a biblical conviction, and I have faith that that is true. All right. Now, you say then, Brother Barry, how do I know that I'm gaining spiritual maturity? How do I know that I'm growing in grace and in knowledge? Well, let's take a look at some. All right. Let's, let's for a few, few more minutes. I've only got a few minutes here. But let's take a few minutes and look at some things. A, a, a son of God who's growing is waiting for God's will and seeking God's way of escape in times of temptation. We want to know what's right, and we want to know how to avoid the wrong. We want to make the right way easy, but we want to make the wrong, doing something wrong, as hard as possible. So we'll build accountability into the process. We will uh, wait on, on God to find out his will. Remember, it's always better to find God's will and to walk in God's will and to know God's will. You can know God's will. And it is better for us to seek it. And a mature person doesn't jump at what he feels like doing. A mature person is willing to wait and to pray and to seek God, to ask good counsel, get good advice. He's also willing to sacrifice our own rights and the need to always be right and always win. My goodness. I heard a collective groan just when I said that. We sacrifice our rights as we grow and mature. And mature. We sacrifice the need to always be right and always win. I will tell you that a mature Christian is quick to apologize, quick to make things right, and quick to seek forgiveness. When we have even strong convictions, and some people have strong personalities, it's never right for a woman to have an iron disposition and to be always right and always in your face and always forcing their own issue. It's never right for that. But when a person even feels passionately that they're right, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice my, my need to be right and the need to always win the argument as I grow and mature in Christ. If you're, if you're, if you're becoming worse as you age, we're just moving the wrong way. And that's a powerful thing. Because as we get older, we get let, we, we become more impatient with the disagreements of others. We need to learn to sacrifice our rights and the need to always be right. Listen, folks, you want an example? When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and sacrificed his own desire to be right and to win the argument, he demonstrated the ultimate expression of, a, of, of maturity. And he said, not my will, but thine be done. And they falsely accused him. And he didn't open his mouth. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. A sign of spiritual maturity is to confess the positive. Uh, hey, we live in times when it's easy to confess the negative. It's easy to confess the dark side of things. It's easy to confess what's going wrong. It's easy to confess today what the news says. And it, it I mean, the news very often is full of falsehoods and lies and 
stretches and all kinds of things that are exaggerations, things that are flat out not true. It's easy to confess that. It's easy to repeat that. I believe it's good for us to dwell on the positive, to confess the positive, believe the positive, things that are pure, things that are right, things that are true, things that are of good report. That's what we want to do. As we mature, we separate our, our state from our standing. Our standing with God is one thing. Your state in life might be another thing. You might be as poor as a church mouse. You may have lost your job, and you know what? Uh, you're, you're wondering where your next meal is coming from. That's the state you're in. But your standing with God may be completely different. Because if you have eternal life, you're a very privileged person. Your state in life may be that your health is breaking down. And, and as you age, you find that <laughs> things are not improving. Your state, your physical state, your mental state may be one place. But your standing with God is a different thing altogether. When you can separate your state from your standing, you're figuring out what mature sons of God figure out. And that is no matter what happens to me in the flesh, no matter what happens to me on the outside, no matter what breaks down around me, my standing with God is sure. A real true son of God is going to look at things and say, I want to make my calling and election sure. I want to make my standing sure. Even if my circumstances are not pleasant. All right. You say, well, is that true, Brother Barry? Well, let's go back to Paul and Silas in the jail, right? They're in the jail, and uh, hey, they're born-again believers, right? They're people who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're people who have a revelation of Jehovah the Old, Jesus of the New, and they're very blessed people in terms of revelation. Their state with God couldn't be better. Their standing with God, sorry, couldn't be better. But their state, their circumstances they're in, not so pleasant. Because here they are bound with a chain and earthquakes happening around them and prisoners, they're there completely unfairly and unjustly. But you know, here they are and they start to sing. You know why? Because their standing is not the same as their state. And their standing won the battle. In your mind, many times we look at our state and man, that has an effect on how we feel about our relationship to God. Learn to separate it, folks. The sign of spiritual maturity is an ability to separate your state from your standing. No matter what goes wrong, you're still right with God. That's a great thing. You know, if we broke out in a world war, God forbid, and or if we, um, hey, God forbid, but if 2021 was worse than 2020, your the state you the of the country you're living in should not affect your standing. Yes, things can get worse. They will get worse. But my standing with God, it should remain constant. And that is a reassurance that we have. Let's look at another thing that that uh, signs of, of maturity. That is it means that we are going to endure the cross and bear the reproach of the word. You remember I said on Sunday that we're not going to just look at the cross. We're going to look through the cross. And every one of us are given a cross in life. Every one of us are given a burden to carry. Every one of us have a calling in life. And when you endure the cross and you bear the reproach of the word, you're standing for this. Your family may not agree. Your spouse may not even agree. 
There's nothing uh, that no, you have nobody patting you on the back because of your stand for the word of God. You know what? You're willing to endure. You are enduring because you're growing. You're not a babe anymore. You're growing. We are enduring opposition and responding correctly to criticism. Sometimes the way to respond to criticism is simply turn the other cheek. And when there's opposition, um, you know, it, 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 this is an interesting thing, and I, I, I hate to skip over this because a statement like this is really important, enduring opposition. If, For instance, if somebody came into the church and taught something contrary to the Word of God, we wouldn't just say, well, God bless you, brother. Thank you for bringing the Word, and, uh, you know, amen, and we'll just, we'll just go on our merry way. No, the Word always corrects the error. We're talking about opposition that would come as an attack of Satan somehow, uh, as an attack from outside. Or when there's undue criticism and there's false criticism, there is something unjust that is done to the people of God. There comes a point where, there comes a point where, and I don't believe we're at that point, nationally speaking, there comes a point where there would be a pressure against the people of God because they are the people of God and they believe the word of God. And may God give us full maturity before we come to that so we would know how to respond. Let me just give you a couple more and then I'm, I've got to quit here. Not despising or resisting the discipline of the Father. When God makes a change in your life, when there are things that happen that maybe we didn't expect, we don't want to resist and we don't want to feel bad about the chastising and the the work, the discipline that the Father brings into our life. He's really, he's always training us to move a little higher. He's always interested in your spiritual growth. Let me tell you, he deals with us because he loves us. He wants to change us because he wants to see the best in us throughout eternity. And we should not be discouraged at, at a rebuke and open to admonishment. So when correction comes, and no matter how it comes, when maybe it's over the pulpit or maybe it's in conversation or maybe, um, you know, uh, in, in dealing with people or, I mean, God can speak to you in a number of ways. The fact that God cares enough about you to reach down and take a portion of a sermon and knock you over the head with it. Let me tell you, that's because he loves you. God is not rebuking and admonishing and changing people who are not his. He is transforming us by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. He attends to you because he wants to perfect you. Not because he's always a harsh disciplinarian who delights in the pain you experience. Not at all. He transforms you because he loves you. And that's what's really important. We're going to have to stop here. It is a truth. It is a default understanding of ours that seeds grow. And that is very true. We, we as experienced Christians, though many of us, we realize that your growth is a really lifelong commitment. It is a, uh, it is a, a watching of the passage of seasons in your life. You go through many seasons. We go from youth to old age. We go from strength to weakness. We go from immaturity to maturity. We go from uh, the learning stage to the application stage. 
but we're always seen to be going through some stage or another. And, and that's important. Let me tell you this. God loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to, he wants to perfect you. Seeds grow. Believers grow. Churches should grow. May God bless you. We're going to leave you here uh, tonight at this particular point, and maybe we'll pick it up uh, as we as we uh, progress a little bit and uh, carry the thought forward. Um, we, if you don't mind, just remember these needs that we've given you in in prayer tonight, and just trusting that the Lord will minister to those folks that are dealing with the virus. There are several of them. There was uh, two saints, a couple very precious couple who are in uh, Brother Steve's church that passed away uh, this last this, yesterday and then uh, last week. And uh, just very precious saints. And, and um, both of them were in a home and passed away. And uh, may the Lord just bless their families. That's That's got to be very hard. Both of them had the virus and um, other health complications. And so there, there's just many needs. And, and I would just ask you to remember them in prayer. May the Lord richly bless you. It's been good to be with you tonight. I can just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit among us and uh, appreciate your responses there. Uh, and the lightning didn't knock out our power, so we're thankful for that. Remember now, focus on what you're becoming, not necessarily what you are, but what you're becoming. And may the Lord uh, be with you until the weekend and come just expecting a time of fellowship and uh, a little bit of uh, good food and, and some singing and uh, we just we just want to have a, a little uh, refreshing time in the presence of the Lord and and uh, in the presence of each other. So may God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, all the veterans, Lord, and the sacrifices they made. And Lord, may we never forget. May we always uh, pay attention to those memorials that are erected, Lord, in their honor. That you did something great in those fields of battle. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would just uh, give them comfort and rest and their reward. But Lord, I, I can't help but think about the great memorial of your sacrifice on Calvary's cross and how special a thing that is to us. Have your way, I pray, Lord. And may you just speak to our hearts and, and Lord, just continue to bless your church, bless your bride all over the earth, Lord. And, and Father, may we always remember that you've done a great thing in our hearts and our lives. We know that seeds grow, and that's true. Nothing needs to be changed about that statement, but our understanding of that statement certainly changes. So Lord, bless your people, I pray. Keep us safe, protected, watch over our families. And Lord, we just pray that you would watch over us till we meet again. We commit every need, every heart into your care. In Jesus Christ's lovely name, amen and amen. God bless you tonight.